Like, we all want to be the church every day of our lives. So this is just a building where we gather, but the church goes everywhere throughout the week. And we need to learn how to live with one another as believers, right? And that's kind of what this, ver- this whole series is about, is joining us together. Um, week one, do you remember what that one was? Love one another. Thank you, Kevin. You get a gold star for the day. Love one another. Last week was accept one another. And other translations was welcome, receive. Welcome, receive, accept. And that wasn't just saying, hey, welcome to J-Road and going back to your pew and forgetting their name and never talk to them again. Um, but it was opening our hearts to somebody, right? It's opening our hearts and saying, hey, welcome. I want to get to know you. I want to let you into my life. I want to l- invite you into my home. I want to receive you. And so, you know, I'm, I want to be asking you, who have you invited into your house this past week? Who from J-Road have you invited over to your house this week? Or who from the community have you welcomed over to your house and said, hey, come and, and sit with us? Or, you know, if your house doesn't accommodate, who have you invited out to Pizza Ranch this week and said, hey, I want to get to know you. I want to open up my life to you. Let's go to Pizza Ranch because they have really good chicken there. Um, because they really do. Their chicken's really good. Um, their fried chicken is the best there. Um, so there's something, and, and, and I'll build this out, but there's something supernatural that happens when the church gathers, okay? We cannot forget this. When I say like the church, I'm not just talking about the church on Sunday morning, but I'm talking about when we gather, number one, something magical, special, supernatural. Can I use the word magical? Supernatural happens, and it's good. When we meet in our missional communities, and we sit down together, and we talk about things of the Spirit and things of Jesus, something supernatural happens, and it's very important. When you have Christians over at your house for dinner, or you go out to Pizza Ranch, like, something is happening there that's really good, and it's really important. It says in Acts 2.42 that, that when the church started meeting, they met every day. Like, you're like, whoa. You know, I, we, we have missional community, you know, every other every other Tuesday, and we have church every Sunday. But they met every day in the temple, praying together, getting to know each other, helping each other. Like, they met every day. And I believe there's somewhere else in the Bible that says, do not forsake the gathering of the brethren. That's in the King James Version. But do not forsake meeting together. Because something really important happens here, and we are never meant to do the Christian life on our own. Amen? Like, there's no lone rangers. Like, you cannot just say, hey, I'm good. I have Jesus and I'm going to go live in my basement and never talk to anybody again, that would be wrong. We were meant to do life with one another. And that's kind of the verse, that's kind of the point of this. And so today's one another is, um, so the first one was love one another, then it was welcome one another. Today goes a little bit deeper, and it's talking about sin. Okay? Like what happens when your brother in the Lord or your sister in the Lord is caught in a sin or found in sin or confesses a sin? Like, how do we respond? How do we love one another despite sin in our church family? Like, how do we help somebody in their sin? And I think this is very important because it's going to come up a lot. Um, And I want to say before we get to our verse that talks about this one another, is We have three problematic responses when it comes to sin. And I kind of just jotted down three things that I see often. Um, The first is this. Sometimes we forget that we all struggle with sin. Okay? Sometimes we forget that we all struggle with sin. 
Um, and this is something that we have a hard time with. Like, it's not saying we should jump head first into sin, that we should be comfortable with sin, but we sometimes forget that even as Christians, we all struggle with sin, all right? And when I talk about sin, that is any type of disobedience to God, right? Any type of way, like God's way is this way, and we're just over here doing our own thing. And when I say any type of disobedience to God or his word, that's what I mean when I talk about sin. Um, many times we forget that Christians are not actually perfect, right? Like we're not perfect. We are fallible. And, and, and here's the question. Well, Jesus died for our sins, right? Like why do I still struggle with our sins? Like Jesus died for our sins, our past, present, and future sins. And when we accept him and believe in him, all our sins are forgiven. But while we're here on earth, before we get our new bodies in heaven, we have this thing called the flesh. In the flesh, we carry around with us like a burden almost. Like, and so we have, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, but we also have the flesh, and they're always waging at war within us. <clears throat> we see in Romans 7, I know I told you Galatians, but we'll get there. Romans 7 is up here on the screens, verse 21 through 23. It says this. Oh, maybe I don't have this one on the screens. Maybe I don't. Sorry. Uh, it says this, so I find this law at work, and this is Paul saying, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. He's saying, in my heart, I really want to do what's right. I truly want to do what's right. I want to follow God. I want to do what's right. But 23, it says, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. So he talks about what I want to do, I don't do, and what I don't want to do, I do. And there's this like constant struggle in my flesh that I'm going to be struggling with my whole life. And it also says in Galatians 5.16, if you're taking notes, Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, Paul says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So he's like, the way to win this war between our flesh and our spirit between good, between evil in our hearts, is if you as Christians walk in, by the Spirit, you'll not gratify the lust of the flesh. If you're, if you're walking with Jesus, if you're consciously listening to worship, if you're reading your Bible, if you're praying, if you're in community, if you're in church, if you're walking in the Spirit, you're less likely to fulfill the, the lust of the flesh and have outbursts of anger or lust, and, and things like that. So he's saying there's this war. So as Christians, we should not be shocked when somebody's fallen into sin, because we, it, we all, if we're honest with ourselves, saying there's this struggle with us, within us internally to sin. And so the second problematic response to sin, and, and this is kind of the second one, is sometimes we fall into two extremes when it comes to sin. Is number one, we are way too comfortable with it, or we hide it and pretend that we don't have it. And again, that's like our two different extremes. Like, we hide our sins, and we'll never share our sins, we'll never confess our sins to our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And the other extreme is, we are way too comfortable with our sin. <laughs> like, this is who I am, this is what I do, take it or leave it, I'm good with it. You know, and it's like, holy moly. Like, I think either one of those extremes are not very good. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, either one of those extremes are not too good. Um, you know, as, as a church, 
if we start getting closer together, which my hope is as a series does, like we get closer together and we have a lot more times where I'm at your backyard, you're at my backyard, we're at Pizza Ranch, you're at his backyard, and you guys are hanging out with each other more. The more we get to know people, the more we see some of the sin in their life, right? Like the more you're, you're, at, you're at somebody's house, you open up their fridge to grab a water, you see all their white claws, and you're like, okay, you're a white claw man. I didn't know that. Um, and then you shut it, or, you know, and then, you know, not saying that's a sin, but I'm saying like you just get to know people of things that we keep people out of, right? And you see their life, and, and you'll see them at their most vulnerable. Like when we're at church, we're not our most vulnerable, right? We are at our most put together on Sunday morning, right? You guys aren't going to hear me yell at my kids on Sunday morning. But when we get in the car, holy moly, you might hear some yelling. <laughs> Why did you do that? What were you thinking? You know, like, you're going to see the most put-together versions of everybody here at J-Road. And that's, that's okay. That's good. But when, it's really good to get to know people and get to see every side of each other. And then, you know, we don't hide our sin, but we're not comfortable with our sin. Um, so as I say all that to build into, um, you know, I was invited to somebody from J-Road. They had a party at their house. And I, I'm just at their house hanging out with some other friends. It wasn't like a party party. It was just like, hey, we're going to hang out. My kids were over there. It was good. We're all hanging out, and he comes up to me and says, hey, I'm just going to let you know I need to apologize in advance. I'm about to get really drunk tonight. <laughs> I'm like, dude, that's a sin. <laughs> you shouldn't get drunk. You know what I mean? Like, it was like, <laughs> you know, like, I'm about to, you know, he said it, or this person said it in front of a bunch of other people, and so I was just like, okay, do I need to take you inside and talk to you for a second and be a big buzzkill on your party that you're about to have because this isn't cool that you're getting drunk around other people from j-road right and it was just like i'm so cool with it you know whatever you know and it's just like no like like we, we, we sin should still break our like we should we should never be comfortable with sin we should never laugh at sin we should never wink at sin we should never give in to sin um but at the same time you know there's this thing where we need to be honest and confess it to people as we see fit. Um, and if some people are like, oh, no, was that me who said that the other day? Like, I don't know. No, no, it wasn't you. I wouldn't say that they were in the room. And, yeah, never mind. Sorry. I just kind of to myself. Um, no. Uh, this person knows that I didn't like that they said that. Um, so sometimes, and the third one is this, sometimes we react poorly to hearing about sin. And so... You know, any scenario you can think of, if you are getting close to people at J-Road and they tell you about their sin, like, we don't always respond the best, do we, with that? Like, we don't always have the most Jesus-like response. It's like, what? You had an affair? You ho! You know, like, no, we're not supposed to say that. But that's like the first thing that came to your mind. And, you know, like, that maybe is the first thing that blurted out. It wasn't right. We shouldn't have said it. But it's like, with that, we don't always respond how Jesus wants us to respond. Somebody shares a sin that they've done, and we're like, oh my goodness. Maybe we said, they, maybe they were vulnerable enough to confess their sin to you, and you just pile on, like, why did you do that? Why did you do that? What were you thinking? What were you thinking? It's like, dude, they just confessed their sin to you. They don't need you to pile on any more shame in that moment. <laughs> and so a lot of times when people confess their sin to me, like, just tell me a sin they didn't. Like, we don't have confessional booths like the Catholic Church, but if a brother or sister, like, tells me about their sin, you know, 
my response, you would think, wow, you're too easy on that person. My response is if they're repenting of their sin and telling me about it, I just want to show them love and how I could help them. I'm not here to pile on shame, like, what is wrong with you? What are you doing? Why did you do that? You're messed up. That's gross. You know, whatever. Like, I'm not here to pile on the guilt and shame because you've already repented. Um, and then, again, if somebody, if you're at a party and somebody's like, you know, hey, uh, tells you that they're going to be just sinning all night, like we clam up and we don't say anything, you know, and, and so we have, again, maybe two extremes there that we don't do well there. So because of these facts, we hide any sin that we might have. As Christians, we put together our best foot forward when we come to church, and, you know, we're on the worship team, so I can't let anybody know I sin because nobody sins on the worship team, um, right? Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm joking. Um, so what we do is any sin that we have, we hide. We sweep it under the rug. We make sure nobody finds out about our sin. And guess what? Sin grows the best when it's in hiding. Like Satan, the, the, our enemy, like the devil, like he wants us to hide our sin and never talk about it. Because when our sin is hidden and not brought up to the light, it grows and grows and grows until we have a big, nasty gremlin under our rug, which we could have just dealt with when it was a little piece of dust, but now it's this big problem in our lives. Um, and sin grows best in the dark. We don't, and we need to confess all our sins. Um, we need to confess all our sins. We should be open and honest with each other as a church, with our missional communities. With, if you have a close person that you feel open with, we should tell them when we're struggling. And if there is a sin that you would be mortified if anybody found out in your life, that is the very sin you need to confess today before you even leave this, this building. Okay? Let me say that again. That sin in your life that if somebody found out you would be mortified is the very one that you need to confess because you've been protecting it too long. And it's going to kill you. It's going to kill you. It's going to kill, it's going to destroy your family. It's going to take you down. So like you need to find somebody to confess that to um, and tell that sin to. Sin grows best in hiding. So we need to develop a culture of transparency and authenticity with our brothers and sisters here. Otherwise, our sins will take us down. So what is our responsibility when a friend shares with us a sin they're struggling with? Maybe we find out a sin they're struggling with. That's that's the premise of our passage today. So if you have Galatians 6, uh, 1 through 3 um, open, you can look at it. We'll also have it here on the screens. Um, and, and we'll also find our one another verse. Okay? It says this. Paul is writing to the church of Galatia. He's talking to Christians. He says this. Brothers, also brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let me pray. God, we thank you for this week's one another passage. And uh, Lord, help us just be better at being the church God, we truly want to be a judgment-free zone because we have no right to judge. But we do have a calling to bear one another's burdens, to restore people, 
to correct things that are out of whack. So God, um, I pray that your word is lifted up today, and, and God, you're ultimately honored through this, and help us just love people the way you loved us. Help us receive people the way you've received us, and God, help us bear one another's burdens. God, like you've been bearing our burdens every day. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, everybody's guess this week's one another verse is bear one another's burdens, bear one another's burdens. Um, so, we need to go out of our way to walk with our brothers and sisters, um, especially when they are stuck in sin, when they are stuck in sin. And so, um, and we're going to unpack this a little bit, okay? So I'm going to have this verse back up here, and we're going to unpack a few big words out of this verse. Um, so the first thing I see when we, as we talked about, if you went to equip you how to study your Bible, you know that we exegete Scripture is looking at, like, really breaking down every word. But the first is he's writing to brothers. So he's talking about, like, brothers, um, if any of you are caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. So he's not just talking about, like, if you're a person who doesn't know Jesus or is not a Christian is in sin. He's talking about if your fellow Christian brother or sister is in sin, this is what you are to do. So he's talking to Christians. Like, he's talking to you guys with each other and your missional communities. Um, and he's speaking to believers. And we could assume, so we could all obviously assume Christians could be caught in sin. Um, the word transgressions is there's, if you look at three different translations, you'll probably get three, diff three different words for this. But um, again, this was written in Greek, but the tra word transgression is just sin. If anybody's caught in any type of sin, again, sin is disobedience to God or disobedience to his word. Um, it, and so if anybody's caught in a sin, so, and, and then the other part is the word caught. So this does not mean, and when you read this the first time, you might think it means if anybody's caught in a sin, like, aha, I caught you. Like, look what you were doing. It doesn't mean that you opened the door and caught somebody sinning. This means, this word caught is really, like, translated like the same word that's used for, like, stuck in a spider's web. Okay? Like, you're just stuck. Like, you are trapped in sin. You are caught in sin. You are just, you're, like, in a sin that you can't get out of. Um, or a sin that you know nothing about and that you don't even know you're in sin. But so it means like caught or overtaken. It seems like a habitual sin. It seems like an addiction. It seems like something that somebody is doing all the time, caught in sin. It needs to be restored. It needs to be restored. Um, a good thing, I think, when we talk about the subject, a good thing for us to talk about is like, I start thinking about like, okay, what sins we, we like our minds go to. For my mind, as a pastor— you know, been a pastor now since 07, so I don't know, do the math, 15 years. Um, there is one sin that is overtaking the church more than any other, in, in my opinion. And we'll talk about, we'll break that down. There's one sin overtaking the church more than any other, and that is the sin of pornography, okay? Pornography, like if you look at the statistics, 80-some percent of men have looked at porn this week. And so, it's just my assumption that men are looking at porn, and we need to, we need to help them. We need to, we need to give them help. We, I need to bear their burdens. We need to come alongside of them, because looking at porn 
is adultery, right? It's lust. And so when you are looking at porn men, you are destroying not only your marriage, but you're destroying your kid's faith. Like you're bringing this into your household. And marriages are literally destroyed over pornography. It leads to like it leads to physical adultery. It leads to so many things. It rewires your brain not to look at women the same way that God looks at them. In, I'm not just addressing to men. I mean, I think now it used to be a lot lower. Now it's like 30% of women are looking at porn on a regular basis. And so this is a huge, huge, number one, it's a huge business. I don't know if you know this, but the pornography industry makes more money than the NFL, Major League Baseball, and NBA combined. And so porn is rampant in the church. It's rampant in the church. It's rampant in our homes. So in the spirit of bearing one another's burdens, I ask dudes all the time at J-Road, you looking at porn? Did you look at porn this week? And if the people that I'm really close with, I'll say, can I look at your phone? Can I look at your history? Can I see what you're looking up? Do you have covenant eyes on your phone? Oh, you don't have any covenant eyes on your phone. Okay. Because here's the thing. When I was starting out in ministry in 07, the iPhone, I don't believe was out yet. I don't think it was out yet because none of us had iPhones. Like we had these flip phones when I got married. And uh, so we didn't have smartphones. I remember the first time anybody used like GPS on their phone, I'm like, that's weird. I have a TomTom. Like why do I use my phone for that? It's got to be really slow. Um, and so like it was like more of a process. And especially you go back a little bit before, like when I was in high school, like all my buddies and I had like dial-up internet. And most of us didn't even have like computers in our house right? So like looking at porn was very hard to do. And, you know, when guys did at my age, we went to our dad's barn and found his stash of magazines under his work bench. And that's, you know, flipping through those things. And then we got, you know, as a kid, you know, we got a fix every like time I went to my buddy's dad's barn, which was like once a week or twice a week or something, or, you know, once a month. And that's where you'd go. The problem is now, not only do we have computers in our houses, we have full access to the internets in our pockets at any time. And it really should scare us to death. I've been looking at, I've been talk, trying to talk to parents of preteens and teens, um, and I heard somebody say, and this is kind of our rule, is like, we shouldn't allow our kids to have phones until they're in high school, until they're in ninth grade. And now you guys do what you want. I'd be willing to talk about this. My, the rule for my kids is you're not going to have a smartphone until you're in ninth grade. And my son is in, my oldest son is in fourth grade. No, he's in fifth grade now. In third grade, three of his best friends all got iPhones. And so they're on the playground. Listen, they're on the playground. They can look up porn and show porn videos to any student they want on the playground. And now our school doesn't do that. We take the phone away if they see it, so they don't bring them to school. And, you know, this is why I don't, we don't let our kids do sleepovers at other kids' houses. We have, like, we're the sleepover house, and all their friends come over to our house. I take all the phones. I don't care that they're not my kid. They're, they're not having the phones down in the basement when they're sleeping. There's no computers. There's no, you know what I mean? And for me, for my son, I know that I can't prevent him from looking at pornography. My job is to prepare him when he sees it. This is what you do when you see it, and there's resources for that. But I'm saying this is such a big issue, parents. Like, we cannot turn a blind eye to it um, with our little kids, especially if your kids are in elementary. Like, I tell my kids from day one, I don't care if you're the last kid in school to get a phone, you're not getting it until you're old enough, mature enough, and which I think is going to be like more like 19 or 16. Or, I'm sorry, ninth grade or 16. 
um, because I don't want them. I want them to be able to understand pornography better. And I want to be able to set things on their phones. Like, honestly, um, pornography, like, like, out of three pastors, statistically speaking, one of them is addicted to pornography. I mean, you're not talking about, like, just everyday. I'm talking about believers that are just minister. So what is Satan doing to the church if we are just so addicted to pornography that we can't even look at men and women the same way? And so this is what we talk about when we talk about caught in pornography. And that was a big, a big diatribe that I wanted to talk about because it's super important to me. And um, it's super important to my wife because we know they're going to see it. There's no way around it. They say... All kids are—most kids are going to see pornography by the age 11. Um, and my job is to prepare my kids for when they do see it. Somebody shows you a picture, somebody's butt naked, you know, turn away. They say, if anybody says, hey, I want to show you something on my phone, you're supposed to say, what do you want to show me? And that should be your first—like, teaching our kids, like, things like that. There's little hints that you could teach them to prepare them for not being caught in that. Because I don't want to raise my kids that way, and I don't think you should either. And so for men here, and I'll just say this— if any men are here caught in pornography, please talk to somebody today. Talk to me, talk to your missional community leader, um, talk to any of our elders here, talk to any, anybody that you could talk to. Women, same way, talk to somebody and just say, I need some sort of accountability and help. And I want you to be in my life. And what you're asking them to do is this verse. I want you to help bear my burden <laughs> because this is a hard burden. And like I said, I have like three guys I ask to every week, hey, you walking in the spirit today or are you walking in the flesh? And he knows exactly what that means. You know what I mean? Like, how has your week been? He knows exactly what that means. Um, hey, if you keep finding ways to get around Covenant Eyes on your phone, the accountability software we have set up, I think it's time that we go to flip phones. And I've actually said that to a few guys. If you are that addicted to pornography, it's time to go to a flip phone where you do not have internet on your phone. Well, what about podcasts? Screw the podcast, screw the GPS, screw all that stuff, because if you don't fix this, you're in, your life is in big trouble. And so it might be time to go to a flip phone for some of us. Get rid of the iPad, get rid of the computer, and go to a flip phone, and then just use your work computer. And that's okay. That's okay. You might not be up on every podcast or YouTube video or TikTok dance. That is okay, because your life will be restored. And your brain can start to heal from that sin. And so that's the next step for some of these dudes. Um, but hopefully God can give them victory over that where it doesn't have to be that. So, okay. So I'm going to move on a little bit. Um, and so this word, you're caught in a sin. There's many other sins. I don't want to just target pornography because there's many other sins that we all struggle with that aren't that. But it says um, you are called to restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And this word restore is the same word that's it's a medical term, and it's used for setting a broken bone in place. So there's a broken bone. You take it, and you set it in place, and you re like put a bandage on it, cast. And so it's taking something that's broken and fixing it. And so that's what we are called to do. Um, re it means set it straight, correct. When someone has sinned, we, must, we are called to be in a restorative role in correcting that person. So the bone is broken, we're correcting it. And so we see a brother or sister who's in a sin, and we're correcting it. Maybe you see them having an outburst of anger and screaming out anger and rage. And you see that something's off, and so I want to correct it. And we're called to do it with a spirit of gentleness. 
So how we do that as believers is, you know, let's use an example of like raging out or screaming. It's like, hey, I've been over at your house a number of times, and you've been over at my house, and we're together a lot. I see you fly off the handle. Is rage something that you struggle with? They're like, yes, I just, I'm caught in this sin. I'm struggling with rage. Okay, um, here are some verses that I know really help people. I'm going to share them with you. Let's read them. Let's, let's, let's work on memorizing these verses together, and I'll do it with you. And so, and, and when we meet next week, we'll talk about this. How are you doing memorizing these verses? Has it helped? Do you pray in the morning, like, to pr- ask God to prepare you not to rage? And so, it's really seeing that there's sin in a brother and sister, and I'm here to help correct that, and I'm here to help restore you. It's not saying that we're better than them, because, you know, for anyone thinks he is something, but he's nothing, he deceives himself. I'm not saying I'm better than you. I'm not saying I'm judging you, but it's here to say I love you. I've already committed to loving you and accepting you as a brother, and I want to correct your sin or a sister. And so I want to have this restorative relationship with you. And if, if somebody, if you are in sin and somebody calls out sin in your life, if the ear first response is, don't judge me, it's like they're not judging you. They're doing, they're being obedient to God. Does that make sense? They're not judging you. They're not calling you out. They're not condemning you. They're just saying like, you need to fix this. And I'm here to help you fix this. So there's this phrase I want us all to take out of our vocabulary, okay? It's this. Not my problem. And I think in our culture and, our, and even in our churches, and I've maybe seen with some at Jericho Road, we like to keep relational distance between us and other people. Like, I like coming here. I like being here. But I want some relational distance between me and you guys because I don't want you to get too close to my life. And if I find out in your sin to, of a friend of mine, I'm going to say, that's not my problem. And what the Word of God is saying today is, if you notice that your brother or sister is caught in a sin, it is your problem to help restore that person, to help correct that behavior, to help get that person on the right track. So all of us are called to this, and it is our problem. So there is some lies and truth that come with this. I'm going to read this, and then in a couple minutes, I'll have the worship team come forward. But um, here's the lie and truth, okay? And these help think about it in this regard. The, fir- the first lie and then the truth with it is, I'm not qualified. qualified you. He's called you as Christians. When it says there in the verse, like those of you are that are spiritual, it's saying those of you that are Christians and have the Holy Spirit. So if you're a Christian, and if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit, you are qualified to walk with a brother and sister in their sin. You are just as equipped as a pastor, just as equipped as a counselor, and sometimes it's better if you're in a closer relationship with folks, okay? Um, So our job is to gently restore them and walk alongside of them, and God does the redemptive work in their hearts. That's what we should always know is God's doing the work in their hearts. We are just guiding them, showing them scripture, praying with them. The the second lie is this. um, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. If somebody says, you know, somebody, you find out somebody's sinning or somebody confesses their sin to you and you're saying, I don't know what to say. Um, I'm not qualified as a lie. I don't know what to say as a lie. You have the Holy Spirit and a Bible. God has qualified you. God has given you the words to say. And the Holy Spirit says, in that moment, I will give you the words to say. Right? 
So trust the Holy Spirit and just pray and look at your Bible and you will know exactly what to say. And the third is this. I better send them to a... Uh, oh, never mind. That's a different one. Shouldn't a pastor handle this? You are called to bear this burden. And now I am called to bear some people's burdens, but if you find out that a close friend in the church is in sin, you should really handle it and you should really deal with it because that's what it's calling you to do. Um, you are called to bear this burden and you are just as qualified as I am um, to handle this burden. Um, you know, we think sometimes, I better send them to a pastor or counselor. They need help. They might need help. They might need a counselor, and counseling is good. Um, I never want to send somebody to a non-Christian counselor because they're going to be counseling them with worldly methods and not using the Bible. I don't think that is good. God has given us the Bible to help rebuke, correct, lead, guide. And if you go to a counselor who's not a Christian, they're just going to be giving you worldly empty advice. Now, I do think there's nuggets that you can get out of worldly counselors, but there are some amazing biblical counselors that will point to the truth of God's word, and that is your, our foundation. So I would always advise people, do not go to a non-Christian, uh, a secular counselor. Um, but you guys can be that person as well. Um, you guys can be that person to guide them and lead them. Um, I believe you guys have 2 Timothy 4, 2 up here as well, right? Okay. This is a commandment for you guys, not just pastors. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. This is what we are called to do with our friends that are Christians, our family that are Christians, and our brothers and sisters here at J-Road, is we are called to correct, rebuke, and encourage. Um, with love, everything we do is under the banner of love, right? So if I rebuke, um, if I rebuke Jeff, I am not shaming him. I'm not judging him. I'm guilty of him. It's done in love where it's like, hey, man, I really want to tell you this because I see this. I love you. I want you to have a good marriage. I want you to be a good employee. I don't think you should be sneaking auto parts in your pocket when you leave work. And, you know, the Bible says that's a sin. And, man, I just want you to be the best you in Jesus. And that's what I want for you. That's why I'm telling you this. To rebuke somebody and encourage them and correct them and to bear one another's burdens is the highest act of love outside of dying for somebody, you could do for somebody. When somebody t points out faults in me, I hate it in the moment, but when I sleep on it, I really love it because I know that person loves me enough to call out something in my life. Right? I know that that's a real brother or sister that they love me enough to call out sin in my life, and we should be thankful for that. Okay, worship team, you come forward. You guys got... One more song to sing, and we're going to praise Jesus at the end of this. But I, um, while they're coming up, um, so there's a beauty of the future. Um, the last point I want to make is what can we do? How can we put this into practice, okay? Um, the first thing you could do is be in a missional community. Um, if you're in a missional community, go to your missional community. Don't skip out on missional community because you have yard work to do when spring comes because that is a really— bad reason to skip your missional community. <laughs> we all got yard work to do. We all got stuff. Or if you're tired, do not skip missional community. Um, be there. If you want to be in a missional community, I will help you get involved in one. We have missional communities that have space. Um, so be in a missional community. Missional communities is where we really live out the church. It, and this is where we really get to know people. We have fun. We play board games. We eat together. 
we study the Bible together, we pray together, um, and we invite people in, and we're on mission together. And so, and number two is cultivate a missional community that is a safe place where authenticity is welcomed. Um, how can we do this? Anybody want to take a stab at this one? How, do we, how can we cultivate a spirit of transparency and authenticity in our missional communities? Yeah, being transparent ourselves. Not only for you missional community leaders, be transparent yourself. Like, well, I'm the leader of this missional community. What if they find out that I sin? Hey, we already know you sin. We already talked about this. <laughs> it's okay to say your struggles because people want to know that people struggle. And if you are going to missional community, confess your sin to the group. If you are struggling with something, confess it. It's okay. We love you. The Bible says in Matthew 5, 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. It's very important that we are transparent. Let people know about your life. Let people know. I'm trying to be very transparent in my missional community. I told everybody, like I had a colonoscopy a couple weeks. My, 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 you're like, why'd you have one? You're only, there. I have some intestinal things that I struggle with. But I told my missional community about it and they're praying for me and I don't keep anything back from them, right? I tell them these things. And they prayed for it. And uh, that was good. Um, so we cultivate 